Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. All right, here's what I'd like to do for this episode. This might be a lengthy one, we'll see. But there's a theme throughout this episode that will certainly carry its way through. And this is something that unfortunately has existed for centuries, and it's something that will continue to exist going forward. And it should be an interesting, I think, lesson for a great deal of people, myself included. But it specifically has to do with the application or the existence of what is called sophistry. And sophistry is defined as a subtle or tricky or superficially plausible but generally fallacious method of reasoning. It's, just, it's basically a false argument or an excuse that an individual will make in an effort to, again, either not make a plausible argument because, again, they have no proof of what it is that they're attempting to take a stance with. So they essentially create some kind of an out that gives them a way of not having to explain something calmly and rationally and and something that is not superficial but factually accurate. And there are endless examples of this. The most ready example that I can bring up right now, and I have a number that I'm going to go over here in just a second, but it's one that we've all experienced and we've all heard, certainly within the last three plus years. And frankly, it was embedded in many long before that. And it was something that I even heard a number of students, again, tell me or falsely believe also, which was absolutely hilarious. But it's when an individual, for example, will say, well, how do you know that you're not a medical doctor? That right there is an example of sophistry. It's a dismissive approach to rationalize a person's lack of understanding by essentially, instead of name-calling, they'll, they'll use a profession or a particular title or whatever it may be against someone else in a method to discredit them in some way. Again, this can be used across the board with just about anyone. In the education profession, we've seen this ramp up certainly within the last three plus years with regularity, which is remarkably problematic. And uh, American educators, unfortunately, or indoctrinators as they really are, are using this with such regularity that they now believe it. And they will say the following sentence or make the following statements. They'll say, well, we as school teachers know more than parents do because we are educated in subject matter and parents are not. And any variation of that. Again, they'll even say, well, I teach math or I teach science or I teach history and there's no way that a parent knows what I do. There's even this one, which again is, no one knows what the student needs more than the teacher. These are false arguments. And this is, again, the definition of sophistry, which is remarkably evil in, in many ways. Now, politically speaking, sophistry is used by all sides of the proverbial political aisle, which by default should tell people that that entire charade of a left and a right, or an independent, or a this or a that, or someone in the middle, that all of that is a false dynamic. 
that that in itself is sophistry as well. And it is. It's the old black and white. Well, it has to be this or it has to be that. But what are we seeing now? We're seeing with this whole Israel-Palestine fake false flag dilemma, which I'm going to get into some of the specifics and more of the history of this because it, it matters. Because again, we're not hearing this from the talking heads in the media. They engage consistently in a level of sophistry that is beyond destructive, and they do it for their own means. Where they become remarkably hypocritical and the jig is up is when all of the sudden they all start agreeing on something. So they'll hate each other on a variety of other subjects and say, well, this person's evil, well, that person's evil. But then when it all of a sudden comes down to something that's Israeli-related, then all of a the sudden they're all on the same team. Now, you've heard me, again, bring this up when it comes to fake school shootings. That's just one, one example of many where all of these individuals, again, on the proverbial different aisles of the political spectrum, will all of a sudden agree with one another on something. Yes, we need red flag laws, or yes, we need safer schools, or yes, we need more security, or we need more of a police state, or whatever. They'll disagree with each other publicly on a number of other things, so they say. But now all of a sudden, regardless of where they stand on other issues, they all have the hashtag in their Twitter bios or in their Twitter, in their Twitter posts that say, I stand with Israel. Hashtag I stand with Israel. Every, everyone from Chuck Schumer to Lauren Boebert. Well, that pretty much gives it up, doesn't it? That should give up the fact that none of these people are thinking people. They all engage in false arguments, fallacious methods of reasoning, superficiality, and they are tricksters, all of them. Again, there are endless examples that I can bring up and that you can, of course, think of on your own. But I want to get into a few more examples as to some of these logical fallacies that do exist, there are many, as you might expect, but again, I, I want to highlight just a few here. In fact, I'm going to highlight approximately six. The first is the black or white fallacy, which is where two alternative states are presented as the only possibilities when, in fact, more possibilities exist. This, of course, has everything to do with the current conflict that's going on, whether it be real, fake, a false flag. There's certainly other things going on, which I think is fantastic. I think we're watching the destruction of the fake uh, Benjamin Netanyahu regime that exists there, which, as it turns out, the majority of the people who, who live there don't like, because, again, they're Zionists, and he's a Zionist. And that, of course, has been explained at length by many people, but it's the old, well, I have to wave this flag or I have to wave that flag. You have to take this stance or you have to take that stance. And then that brings into account numerous other examples of sophistry or certainly these logical fallacies. Um, the other one is uh, referred to commonly as the bandwagon, which is appealing to popularity or the fact that many people do something as an attempted form of validation. We see this constantly. 
I can't I can't help but forget the old Instagram trend that 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 occurred back during the Black Lives Matter nonsense, where everybody would just have a blank screen on their Instagram accounts. That, that that's a perfect example of the bandwagon. But it but it's even more. It's more broad than even a singular action like that. For example, right now, what do you have? You have a bunch of individuals who happen to be Jewish waving an an Israeli flag, which that entire symbol, by the way, is satanic. I've been over that endless times before, too. It's a hex. It's a hexagon, which, again, is a spell, essentially. There's six points on the Star of Remphan. There's six triangles. There's six sides. 666, that's exactly what it is. It's a satanic image. But the people that wave it typically don't know this. Because again, they're associated with the black or white fallacy or the bandwagon fallacy, which now is occurring on many college campuses, which is a bunch of Jewish students get together and start talking how they're always being persecuted and they're the victim. So that's again part of the bandwagon aspect. There's also this. There's the appeal to authority. And this, again, is really destructive for a variety of reasons. Uh, the, The appeal to authority is defined as using the opinion or position of an authority figure or institution of authority in place of an actual argument. I brought it up earlier. It's the most widely used one that exists. Well, you're not a medical doctor, so how do you know? Now, this, of course, is an argument that's been used against all of us, myself included. Public comments that I've made, that numerous people have seen and heard, I was immediately attacked. He's not a medical doctor. Then what did they do? Regarding me personally, they started to come after me and write hit pieces and say, well, he has a PhD in education. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not a medical doctor. Well, the medical doctors don't know what they're talking about either. So it has nothing to do with a person's title. That's irrelevant. Doctors, degrees, pieces of paper in frames, whatever it may be, all of that is, means absolutely nothing. It's the people, however, who are illogical that are appealing to some kind of an authority. That, th- that continues to be one of the largest problems. This is, again, why you have patients getting in arguments with doctors because the patient will enter knowing more information than the medical doctor does. But the medical doctor doesn't want to submit to anything that the patient has to offer because, again, they're hiding behind their title. There are a thousand other reasons and a thousand other examples, but again, the appeal to authority continues to be one of the largest ones that continues to exist regardless of the profession. There's another one too, which I, I, I again I find absolutely fascinating, and it's essentially a different dimension of the appeal to authority. I would say almost on a lower level, on on one notch lower, and it's referred to as the courtier's reply fallacy, which is where you will have an individual who does not have the very title that they are defending regarding the person who has the title, and they're using that as their argument. Let me give you an example. If anybody else who is not a medical doctor 
is having an argument or a discussion with someone else who is not a medical doctor. The person having the argument with the other person will look at them and say, well, how do you know that you're not a medical doctor? When the person being told that could very easily look back at that person and say, well, you aren't either. And the simple fact that that exchange would take place pretty much proves that the person who initiates the exchange in that manner doesn't know what they're talking about and is openly engaging in a fallacious argument. Because it's not an argument. There's nothing truthful about it. Yes, congratulations, I'm not a medical doctor. Neither are you. So now what? Should we just have a staring contest? It makes absolutely no sense, but that right there again is a second dimension of the appeal to authority because the people who are appealing to authority are now taking an, a perceived authoritative title that even they don't have and then looking down on other people and using that as an argument or a stance for a particular subject for which by default now we know that they know nothing about. Again, it's all it's it, this can be this can be used in any scenario and I can't help but think again of mayors of towns and city councils. They openly just went along with other individuals and would invite in other individuals in the in, into their city council meetings on on you know in public forums and basically say okay you're a medical doctor now tell the entire public about this or again in the education profession it's it's very similar a uh, an administrator will, will will speak to a faculty as if the administrator knows more than what a what an average school teacher would know and then unfortunately, that puts some of the most unaware and ignorant educators in a position where they believe that they know more than the parent knows. They don't know anything about the parent's profession. They don't know anything maybe about actual parenting and how the parent is really supposed to be the best educator in a child's life all of the time. And unfortunately, too, there's also this, which is sad. You have endless parents who believe that the authority figure is the one who knows more or knows better. That the parents will just forfeit their children to the medical industry because of titles. Or, well, they went to school for that, so they must know more than me. Or again, they'll forfeit them, they'll forfeit their children to the American public, private, and charter school system as if to say, well, they know more than I do because. They have a degree in it, and they do it for a living. It's a fallacious argument. It holds no water. It holds no weight. We're watching this crumble to the ground right now as we are alive. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Again, it's just like listening to a Ben Shapiro scream at the top of his lungs about Israel because he wears a small hat and he happens to be Jewish. This doesn't make him an expert on anything. He can yell and scream and shout all he wants. Me personally, I, I, I cannot stand the title of quote-unquote expert. You've heard me say I was called an expert once in a publication, and I told the publication to remove it. 
they had me listed as, again, their health education expert in this very old publication that I used to write for. I said, you got to take that out. I'm no expert. I'm just an educator. I'm just a guy with an opinion. I have a take. I have a scientific method approach to things that I, that I do, but I'm not an expert. And I would never call myself that on anything. I mean, I know how to put on a pair of pants. I, I could say I'm probably an expert in that, and that's not too difficult, but we're all experts on that, hopefully. The point is, is that these kinds of titles and, and these kinds of approaches are remarkably dismissive, completely fallacious, and they, again, they, they hold absolutely no water. Here's another one. Another logical fallacy is referred to as appeal to nature. It's where someone makes an argument that because something is natural, then it is therefore valid, justified, inevitable, good, or ideal. And of course, the exact opposite can be used too. So right now in the state of Ohio, you have a bunch of individuals saying that recreational use of marijuana is necessary, which is again on the ballot, and same thing with abortion that it has to do with reproductive rights, and that that should be a natural thing, and that, well, there's this old argument, God created marijuana, so it must be, it must be good, and we should be able to, to have it freely because, well, God made it. Well, God also made rattlesnakes. It doesn't mean that rattlesnakes are good, does it? It doesn't mean that I should grab a rattlesnake and you know, toss it into a movie theater and see what people think. It it just doesn't it it doesn't hold any water making that kind of a a broad approach. Now I'm sure someone would say, well, Sean, you just said rattlesnake. That doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, it might not make any sense at all. But I just blew up the argument. That's all. I blew up the argument. You have to look at things from multiple angles, and look at things from from multiple points of view. God sure did give us rattlesnakes. He also gave us an awesome ability to make a really nice pair of cowboy boots, if you catch my drift. And again, I'm not saying that hemp doesn't have medicinal purposes. It certainly does. I know that. I fully know that. I get it. But again, it doesn't mean that a person has to use it for a singular particular reason or multiple reasons or justify its use for a number of different reasons. Again, rattlesnake venom is used to synthesize very poisonous drugs, like the COVID jabs and that bioweapon. It's a constant back and forth, but again, it's understanding, as you've heard me say a million times, that there's a middle road. And that middle road, that gray area, isn't even necessarily gray. It's just in between. It has multiple levels, multiple dimensions. And you're allowed to look at it from multiple angles. In there is where you're going to find the answer. But that's harder for, for a lot of people. It's easier to, again, just take one side or the other and let that be it. And well, I stand with this and, and that's it. We've all been there on particular issues on a number of different occasions regarding a number of different things. Take education, for example, one more time. Again, I, you know, I, could, I could play this back and forth game all day long. But take education one more time before I, I get into just another example. And then, again, I have more Israeli stuff to bring up too. But an individual, for example, the old appealing to nature or even appealing to authority, 
they would be very dismissive to say that homeschooling is is the only way and that the complete destruction of the American K-12 education system as we know it and every aspect of it has to has to be destroyed completely. While I agree with both of those things, and I do, there is also the gray area, which is there are some people who cannot homeschool, and I fully understand that. Which is why you've heard me say and cause and, and at least encourage people to think about a middle ground, which is, well, in a perfect world. It would be nice if that if schools existed just for the mentally handicapped and the physically disabled. Because again, I think that that's the middle ground. The awake individuals who know that American K-12 schools are not teaching the truth, abusing the people who show up, and causing them to conform in very unhealthy ways across the board, that, those, that if those people leave, the entire system collapses, which then means, again, what is the system left to do? What is the system, or who is the system rather, left for? The system can only be left for the people who actually need a place to go away from the home on a constant basis to receive some form of instruction or, I don't want to say babysitting, but you get what I'm saying. They need supervision because they are at a particular state mentally and emotionally physically or socially that requires them to be to be there and to be supervised while say parents work or you know do whatever that they do during the course of the day you know i there was a very old example i wrote about in my book uh, the mental and emotional state of school age students in that particular book i reference a case that was brought up Regard, uh, during Neil Gorsuch's uh, Supreme Court testimony or his confirmation hearing, I watched every minute of that. By the way, and I wrote a, I wrote about it uh, at, at length within that book, but in particular this this particular case. And it was a father who was essentially um, was ruled against by Neil Gorsuch. I'm I'm pulling this from memory, so you're going to have to forgive me, but. He was attempting to sue a school that could not accommodate his son, who he claimed had severe autism. And as a result, the parents and the father had to send their child to a specialized school for those who had severe autism. Now I'm talking like almost an inability to wipe themselves, that kind of severe autism. So, in the interest of all of that, Gorsuch ruled against him because the parent wanted to be reimbursed for the amount of time that he had spent trying to find this school and then, of course, send his child to this school that was remarkably expensive for he and his wife at the time. I think they ended up getting divorced if any of this was even real. I mean, who's to really know these days? But he wanted Gorsuch and and the court ruling to basically go after the school that could not accommodate his his son and then reimburse him for the time that his son spent at this much more expensive school that specialized in autistic kids and gorsuch said no i can't do that i'm sorry you have an autistic son that's not my problem 
I, I, I can't reimburse you because you have to do the thing that you have to do to accommodate your son. It's, it's, I mean, that's logical. That's the logical approach to that situation. The problem was, is that the father wanted to be reimbursed because ultimately he wanted what is this final example of a fallacious argument that I'm, uh, th- that I'm going to bring up, which is the appeal to emotion. That he wanted the individual and was re- and was attempting to manipulate an emotional response in place of a valid or compelling argument. He didn't have a valid or compelling argument. I'm sorry again that you have an autistic son. Lots of people do. Are we supposed to just reimburse everybody because now they have to make different accommodations? That, that's that, that's the that's the logical argument there. That's the logical approach. Which again means that anything on the perimeter of that, you know, the either or, rule in my favor, or, you know, if you don't, there's something wrong with you kind of approach, that, that again is, is sophistry in a nutshell. And it happens consistently and again at different dimensions for a, a variety of different reasons based on, again, either people's titles or people's stances or positions that they take or things that they associate with or whatever it may be. But the middle way is always harder for people to think because they just can't think multidimensionally about something. They take everything at face value. And then, of course, the dismissive nature of of particular people or points of view or topics is done because the individual is incapable of thought. And we're seeing this consistently again across the board. We're seeing it in the news media. You're seeing it in sports. You're seeing it everywhere. People just not thinking. So I have a bunch of recent examples here that I want to bring up and just kind of, again, keep that theme in mind throughout this entire episode here. But, you know, it's, it's practically everywhere. In fact, I'll mention this too. This right off the top before I read anything, this came from CNN. This was an October 12th through the 13th poll that CNN did. Now, again, it's a SSRS poll, again, which aired on CNN. But it had to do with Israel's military response to Hamas attacks is fully justified by age. So, again, if this is to be believed, and it aired on CNN, so who's to know? Probably not. But either way, they could have just made this up in the back room. But it says that 65-year-olds and older, that 81% of them believe that uh, Israel's military response, rather, to Hamas is justified. That among 50 to 64-year-olds, 56% of them believe that the attack was justified or that their defense of themselves was justified. Among 35 to 49-year-olds, 44% believe that it's justified. And between 18 to 34-year-olds, the 27% believe that it's justified. This right here, too, is an appeal to authority on a variety of levels because people believe that polls are an authority figure. And then times two, that CNN and the media is an authority figure. And then times three, that the older an individual is, the more wise they must be. So it shouldn't be shocking that 18 to 34-year-olds, that only 27% of them view it as being justified, well, because they're only 18 to 34-year-olds, and what the hell do they know? 
See, there would be that fallacious argument, which again, is not an argument. And there's nothing that says that people who are 65 years and older know what the hell they're talking about. So that blows that up too. Which again, takes this entire poll and basically says what? It's useless. It's completely irrelevant. All it's doing also is making another plea to the public by stirring emotion and making more pleas to authority as if to say, trust us, we know what we're talking about. It's absolutely ridiculous, but it happens constantly in an effort, I might add, to consistently not only divide people, but keep them divided. So now there's this. Get into a little real history. This is more thinking, though. See, this is the gray area that requires analysis that a lot of people don't do and they don't want to read. They'd rather look at a poll and make a determination. So what I'm going to read now is a post by a Patrick Martin. My apologies, Patrick Martin. And Patrick Martin is on Gab and makes, again, very thought-provoking posts and, and longer posts about particular subjects. And they're a book author and a number of other things, I assume. But either way, here's what this individual said just a day ago. They said, quote, Hamas is not a terrorist organization. They said, by any objective definition of the term, Hamas is not a quote-unquote terrorist organization. You may not like what they did or their political, socioeconomic, or religious goals. You may not like their tactics. I'm not asking you to do so, but I'm asking Americans to stop throwing around labels like terrorist, quote-unquote, and Nazi, quote-unquote, without context. Summarizing the generally accepted definition of terrorism, it is, quote, the use of violence to achieve a political, religious, and or social goal outside of a legal authority to do so, unquote. Hamas is the, the democratically elected governing party of the Palestinian people. Any act of violence with which they engage is by definition within their legal authority to do so just as it is with political parties in power, whether they are Americans, British, French, or Israelis. Hamas is a political party in the majority. Let that sink in. And he's right. He continues, Imagine for a moment if a Republican president or Republican Congress decided to engage in a military action within a given region. Civilian casualties result. Would that make the Republicans a terrorist organization? Of course not. Indiscriminate and horrific killings of civilians, you say? Ask the Japanese their feelings on Hiroshima. I will not even get into the brutal and arbitrary bombing of Dresden. Vietnam? Question mark. Gulf War II? Question mark. Sherman's March? Question mark. War is brutal and horrific. The Democrat Party in 1945 acted in a manner that was consistent with a legal authorized act of war. Truman was, by definition, not a terrorist. And again, he's right about that. Based on the laws that have been written, it doesn't make it right, but he's, he's, he's bringing up a valid point here. This, again, is, is something that the, uh, the sophistry individuals cannot cannot grasp. They just can't grasp it. He wraps up and says, quote, if Americans want to seriously understand the nature of the Middle East conflict, 
devoid of hyperbole and vitriol. Rather than flinging around the term terrorist, maybe they should ask why the Palestinian people elected Hamas into the majority to include more than 90% support from Palestinian Christians, unquote. Again, that right there is a level of thinking that they don't want to engage in. Because in one form or another, everything is connected. And if they don't understand something, then it requires them to ask more questions. And if they don't want to ask more questions, well, then the thinking stops. But if they continue to ask questions, both to themselves and then, of course, other individuals, but most importantly to themselves, and then they work very hard, emphasis on the word hard, to seek out the answer, well, that's where the difficulty lies. It's easier to just name call than it is actually think. Here's another post from Patrick Martin, uh, just from a couple hours ago. He said the following, quote, The real problem for the global Jewish community is the following. The golem cometh back. After five decades of methodically assaulting white Christian societies from Washington to Warsaw and everywhere in between, they have now empowered minority groups that despise them. They literally had everything they wanted. All they had to do was wait us out, quote-unquote. Instead, they put the pedal to the metal in the past decade. Suddenly, the brown world they chose over the white world, which in their arrogance they believed they could more easily control, now feels emboldened to strike back at the heart of global Talmudic supremacy beginning with Israel, quote-unquote, but certainly not stopping there. Now, Jews around the world are racing back, begging for white Christian assistance. But it simply is not there. Sure, some dispense nationalists, if I'm saying that right, boomers, for example, will stand for Israel, quote-unquote, but the vast majority of white Americans and Europeans have no interest in Middle East squabbles. The emerging Christian youth statistically view Israel and Judaism as incompatible with Christianity, i.e., they are returning to a pre-1890s Christian orthodoxy. The increasing number of religious, unaffiliated, agnostic, or atheist whites, a uniquely Judeo-Bolshevik strategy, have zero investment in the co-chosen quote-unquote mantra. They do not care if Israel, quote-unquote, falls. In essence, Jews created a golem, a society in which whites would be replaced by browns and Christianity would collapse from within. They were largely successful, but now the golem cometh, and there is no one around to help them, unquote. Agreed, because that's history. And you've heard me say again, it's not history that repeats itself, it's people and their behaviors. That's what consistently repeats itself. Let me play this piece of audio now. This is from an individual again who was on TikTok, I believe, and made this quick video. They're a Jewish individual, and they're talking about how they don't defend Israel in the slightest, and they explain why. Give this a listen in three, two, one. You want me to support Israel? My, my Israel? Fuck no, never, absolutely not. You're disgusting. Israel, we talk about the same Israel, my Israel? It's my Israel, by the way. It's mine, I own it. You see, it's my birthright. For those of you who don't know, because I was born a Jewish man, I own the land of Palestine and Israel. It is my fucking 
blood right. That's not me saying that. That's the state of Israel, by the way. They told me. They told me, hey, man, because uh, you're technically a Jew, Israel's yours. It's always been yours. Come on down. Come see the homeland. This isn't me being a dick. This is the state of Israel literally saying this to me. If you are a Jewish person, they offer you what's called birthright. Birthright. The opportunity to come to Israel for free on the Israeli dime and see Israel. It's a timeshare pitch. It's a fucking timeshare pitch. They want you to come see the city, uh, dance in Tel Aviv, eat some kebabs, kick some Palestinians out of their homes, and then they'll try and get you to move there. And and they'll do it like this pitch, like it's, oh, it's, it's, it's family, it's unity, it's an Israeli homeland. Nah, guys, it's an apartheid state. Uh, it's the greatest shame of the Jewish people. Uh, it's disgusting. You want me to condemn terrorists? Easy. I condemn the state of Israel and I condemn Hamas, the terrorist organization supported by the state of Israel. That was fucking easy. Hamas is a puppet of Israel, guys. It was founded by Israel. It was funded by Israel with the sole intention of destabilizing Palestine because it's really fucking hard to, for your country to get its shit together when the one political party being funded by your fucking enemy is Islamic terrorists. All right. And that's literally the explicit strategy of the Israeli government. All right. So, yeah, I, I denounce terrorism in all forms. I denounce the baby killers, the Israeli state who is bombing a city full of children right now. Gaza's mostly kids, guys. 65% of the population is under 24. Half of them are under 18. It is a fucking city of kids. Every time on CNN or MSNBC for a fucking shit show you're watching in order to see all these kids get killed, every time they list the dead Gazans, half of it's just kids. That's the fucking math. Half of it's just kids. You want me to condemn savagery and barbarism? Fucking easily. Who's the savages? Who's the savages? The people living in the open-air prison who are revolting? with the people running the open-air prison and carpet-bombing children. We are not judged by how well we take care of ourselves. We are judged by how we take care of our brothers. And the Israelis have taken their brother and treated him like a dog and beaten him and caged him and denied him food and water and shelter and love. And now when the dog lashes out in violence and anger because the dog knows it's about to fucking die, they then use it as justification to kill their fucking brother. And when the Lord returns, it will look to the children of Israel and he will ask them, where is your brother? Do I support Israel? Fuck no, never. Fuck no, never. He's right. And again, to return to what Patrick Martin said about Hamas not being a terrorist organization, quote unquote, he again was referring to, again, what if you called the Democrats or the Republicans, a terrorist organization, quote unquote. By definition, legally speaking, they aren't. Now, are they really? Are people inside of them doing horrible, horrible things and funding the killing of, of endless innocent people? Yes, they certainly are. But again, all of these, quote unquote, terrorist organizations that the media throws out there for everybody to look at and say, see, that's the bad guy. That right there should tell you that there's more to it than what meets the eye. Again, same thing with these made-up names like ISIS. Same thing. Where did this come from? Who funded this? And all of these perceived sides and fake sides, that there's no way that 
Barack Obama would ever have anything to do with Benjamin Netanyahu. One's a Muslim and the other one's a Zionist. Well, they're both Zionists, theoretically. The point is, is that the gray area exists everywhere. And that's the difficult part for the sophist to, to basically understand. They don't want to understand it. It's far too easier to just take an irrational or a logical stance on one side or the other and not examine things right down the middle. Let me give you another example. This right here is from... And I and I tried to me- I wanted to mention this in the last episode, so my apologies. But libs of TikTok, for example, libs of TikTok makes a living posting on Twitter all of the all of the videos that they post. An individual on Gab here that goes by the nose or at the underscore K N O W S calls out Jack Posobiec and her name libs of TikTok, which is a Chaya Ratchik as basically, again, being controlled opposition, which they are. And they said, specifically, they're all paid by Jewish donors to push Israeli interests. But we're seeing who, who does that consistently now and who does not. We're seeing exactly who engages in the sophist approach and who does not. Who is engaging in sophistry here and who isn't? Again, anybody with the old hashtag I stand with Israel is as ridiculous as the person who is hashtag I stand with Palestine. There's a, there's a middle ground in there, multiple dimensions. Again, there's paid operatives, there's psyops, there's false flags, there's Zionists, there's terrorist organizations, there's money, taxpayer money. I mean, the list is endless. It's absolutely endless. But here, here's two particular posts that, uh, that they pointed out. This one is from Jack Posobiec on the 15th of October, where he says the following, quote, Charlie Kirk gave my whole family a trip to the Holy Land last year. Absolutely the trip of a lifetime, to be there with my father and my sons as we walked the steps of our Savior. People attacking Charlie Kirk are craven, unquote. Now, how many examples? of fallacious, uh, you know, arguments is Jack Posobiec in that one post using? Many. The answer is just many. As far as libs of TikTok is concerned, this Chaya Ratchik, she says the following, quote, that's awesome. I was in talks with at TPUSA, Turning Point USA, to fly to Israel this winter. Now who knows if it will end up working out with the war and all. The claim that at Charlie Kirk 11 is anti-Semitic or runs an anti-Semitic organization is ridiculous. We, we know that. We know. He's towing the line because, again, he works for Turning Point USA. He's paid and funded by them. They have their hooks in his back, and he's 100% fine with it. Because Charlie Kirk, it, again, is controlled opposition. He pretends to be a thinking person. He'll take a stance and ask a particular question, but then he'll finish, as I've read his previous posts in the past, he'll finish with the old hashtag, I stand with Israel. It's not that simple. It's just never that simple. Let me read this now to tie in a little history. So let's get in a time machine and see how 
See how much this makes sense because, well, I'll let you decide, but I think it makes sense. This is a quote from Joseph Goebbels, specifically uh, in 1945. He said the following, quote, One could not understand this war, he's referring to, of course, World War II, one could not understand this war if one did not always keep in mind the fact that the international Jewry stands behind all of the unnatural forces that our united enemies use to attempt to deceive the world and keep humanity in the dark. It is, so to speak, the mortar that holds the enemy coalition firmly together, despite its differences of class, ideology, and interests. Capitalism and Bolshevism have the same Jewish roots, two branches of the same tree that in the end bear the same fruit. International Jewry uses both its own way to suppress the nations and keep them in its service. How deep its influence on public opinion is in all the enemy countries and many neutral nations is plain to see that it may never be mentioned in newspapers, speeches, and radio broadcasts. There is a law in the Soviet Union that punishes anti-Semitism, or in plain English, public education about the Jewish question, by death. The expert in these matters is in no way surprised that a leading spokesman for the Kremlin said over the new year that the Soviet Union would not rest until this law was valid throughout the world. In other words, the enemy clearly says that its goal in this war is to put the total domination of Jewry over the nations of the earth under legal protection and to threaten even a discussion of this shameful attempt with the death penalty. Unquote. If you don't know that that's true, and you don't know that that's happening, then again, I would simply say that that individual isn't paying attention to what we're seeing now, and of course, they have no grasp of real history. Again, what's another, what's another bandwagon phrase when it comes to sophistry that we consistently hear on a regular basis? It's this one, isn't it? Quote, Israel is our greatest ally. Unquote. You'll hear that constantly, out of the mouths of almost every single politician. That right there should tell you that those politicians are blackmailed, bought, sold, and traitors to our country. It really is that straightforward. It really is that simple. Any media person who says the same thing is equally as guilty, and they're also, I might add, equally as incapable of thinking. And this continues to be contagious. Here's another question, I might add, that a lot of people, of course, never ask, and they certainly never ask it when it comes to World War II. Why is it that Adolf Hitler won the election? What is it that made him as popular among the people to where almost everybody voted for him? Now, we know the answer to that question for those of us who have studied it and looked into it and read about it. It was a variety of things. It was degeneracy. It was satanic behavior that existed before his time. Uh, and, and before he was the leader there. Uh, it was poverty, among other things. It was always the ever-present threat of war. Certainly World War I had its negative impact that was a desired impact from the evil people over there as well. Same thing. 
but the citizens wanted nothing to do with it. They wanted to return to peace and prosperity like most places want to. Now look at this recent conflict. No one's asking what was going on in Israel or Palestine before these alleged false flag attacks, which were clearly coordinated. And again, paid for by the Zionists in Israel. So there's this particular post on, on, uh, on X or Twitter where an individual said the following, quote, I arrived in Israel on August 4th to visit my family. The entire country was in turmoil. 400,000 people marched in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem to overthrow the government's efforts to radically transform the judiciary. Again, that's very well known, but it's not well known among the people who weren't paying attention to it before it started hitting the news channels. And then, of course, that story never hit the news channels over here, did it? That there were riots in Israel and that their government was not liked and that no one really likes Benjamin Netanyahu. But that's not discussed. Why? Well, who controls our media? They continued and they said, quote, Israeli politicians aimed to strip the Supreme Court of its power to overturn their decisions if found unconstitutional. Israeli politicians aimed to consolidate power for themselves. Then suddenly, there was a Hamas attack. All the attention shifted to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Israelis united against the Palestinians, and Benjamin Netanyahu remained in power. Now do you want to tell me this all happened by coincidence? Unquote. Of course not. It's just another distraction. It's all coordinated, 100%. But the very concept of false flags is something that younger generations might not have a grasp of. And frankly, it's not even a generational thing. Unfortunately, it's just a human being thing. It's an ability to pay attention to what's really going on kind of thing. And it's remarkably problematic. It's not going to go away. This will be consistent. And uh, yeah, it's sophistry. Anybody arguing one side or an or the exact opposite other that if you don't support israel well then you're an anti-semite that right there is perfect sophistry in a nutshell it's actually referred to as the fallacy fallacy you're using a fallacious argument to make a fallacious argument well you think this because i said so so now you're this <laughs> it's laughable it's laughable but again, you have to laugh at these people because they don't know what they're saying. They have no clue. And, it, you know, it's, it's reverberating across numerous professions. And people, again, can't for the life of them figure out why. Now that leads me to this. As you might expect, there's a bit of a problem in the old U.S. military. And this was making the rounds the other day where an email was leaked by a General Daniel R. Hotkinson, or Hokinson, uh, Chief National Guard Bureau. And they said the following on a Friday, October 13th email, and it had to do again with American troops not wanting to sacrifice their lives for Israel. Who they were sending this to, I'm not entirely sure, but someone clearly within their own ranks. And they said the following, and the subject line was troop sentiment regarding Israel. They said, quote, hey, blank, whoever the person's name is, 
They said, I want to set up a meeting to discuss something concerning I'm hearing from Tony. Apparently, there is, an- there is growing anti-Semitism among the, enlist- among the enlisted troops who are openly stating they're against Israel and not willing to put their lives on the line for them. With Trump's remarks against Netanyahu on Wednesday, this problem is only going to get worse. We need to come up with a strategy to deal with this and rally the troops in support of Israel against Hamas. I think it's best we try to get, ahe- try to get ahead of this, as Tony believes it is becoming an issue. He continued and said, When I spoke to Ori shortly after the attack, he expressed concerns about the Republicans in Congress and if they would hinder full support from the U.S., I tried to assage his comments, I'm sorry, assage his concerns, but he's not wrong. CENTCOM told me Tuberville's hold is having a major impact on their operations. CENTCOM has limited forces and was not expecting a hot war to break out in the region. This, combined with a lack of confirmed leadership positions, means CENTCOM will not be able to support Israel should this turn into a multi-front war if Hezbollah enters the fray. To be honest, if Hezbollah or other players enter the war, Israel won't be able to defend themselves either. Let's pray that doesn't happen. Let me know if you have any suggestions, and let's try to get the key players together for a meeting on Monday. Thanks in advance. General Daniel R. Hokinson. Chief National Guard Bureau, unquote. So now they're panicking. And I got to tell you, it's the Zionists in Israel that should be panicking too, because they're surrounded. And it's the Zionists there that are really the enemy. And they have been for a very long time, since they were placed there back in the late 40s, early 50s, and every decade ever since. They've been funding all of these wars. They've been coming over here begging for our money to do the exact same. And then, of course, the stereotypical bandwagon line, Israel is our greatest ally. Nope, not true. Even the military can see that this is a massive problem because more and more citizens are awake. And if you have individuals in the military, in the U.S. military, who are awake to what is going on, and even they, aren't engaging in the false flag propaganda, then it's game over. Politicians can't force these individuals to go over. You'll have a mass exodus from the military, the likes of which we frankly have already seen regarding the jabs, because many of them didn't want to go along with that either. It's absolutely incredible. Now, sort of regarding this next story, I can certainly make a sophistic approach and comparison to what is going on currently over in Israel to to this particular story, which had to do with one of Ghislaine Maxwell's uh, accusers, rather, who testified against her in court. She mysteriously died uh, just the other day, apparently. A Carolyn Adriano, one of Epstein's victims, who again testified against Maxwell, was found unresponsive in a West Palm Beach hotel earlier this year. Uh, again, it wasn't brought up until just the other day, but was found unresponsive in the hotel room until, uh, on May, I'm sorry, May 23rd, it says. 
rather suspicious. And it is, it, I mean, isn't it interesting that, again, the, the ties that Jeffrey Epstein had to Israel and Zionists in Israel and how he was a Mossad agent and a blackmail agent, that no one's bringing any of this up. It's just the dismissive nature of these blatant connections that clearly exist at face value that no one wants to even touch or even approach. But again, remember, the tagline, the old bandwagon tagline, Israel is our greatest ally. Again, who is saying that? Aren't they the people who are blackmailed by Epstein and endless other individuals who have ties to Mossad? Probably. That's why they're rehashing that old tagline, because, well, they have to. They don't play ball, then their card gets pulled. There's also this, rather strange that this is now all of the sudden taking place, but this is from Zero Hedge just the other day, titled Don't Mess With Texas, Senate Passes Bill Allowing Local State Police to Arrest Illegal Immigrants. Why has this never been the case before? Why has this not been allowed before? Is Greg Abbott signing this? Has he signed this? Is he putting this into practice? They should always be arrested all of the time. They're illegal. They're called illegal aliens for a reason. That's the whole point. Shocking that, again, law enforcement wouldn't be able to enforce the law, but that's the state of affairs in our country, unfortunately. Now let me move on to some education-related things, and there are some bizarre, bizarre things. First of all, also in the state of Texas, also ironic and a bit strange, this is apparently Fentanyl Awareness Week in the state of Texas. Didn't know we needed a week for it, and it's rather strange again that in schools throughout Texas, this is a subject that apparently is going to find its way to worksheets and bulletin boards and within health education classrooms and whatever else, but this, of course, is not something that the homeschooling family really has to deal with. They can speak about the dangers of these kinds of things anytime that they want. But ladies and gentlemen, I mean, don't ever forget, it's the health educator that knows the most about these subjects because it's impossible that anybody else would possibly know more than they would, or that police officers are the only ones who would know everything that there is to know about fentanyl. And nobody knows anything else about it. So don't trust the homeschooling family. Only trust government. You can see the sophistry here. It's thick and it's everywhere. That government is the one who knows best. That government has to be the one to designate a day, a week, or a month to a particular issue. And once they make that designation, then the education can take place but it can't take place any other time. It's absurd. So again, they're having a fentanyl poisoning awareness week, and yet, this entire time, they've been letting illegal aliens in. Oh, the irony. It's beyond disgusting. Here's something else that is beyond disgusting, and it's, uh, it's really pathetic. And frankly, it continues to show a lack of awareness and a lack of intelligence among administrators. This is an old, old practice that has been around for a very long time. Unfortunately, it is a variety of different things all smashed into one. It's a bullying practice. It's a poor leadership practice. It's a lack of awareness practice. It's a 
uh, example of blatant evidence of being out of touch. But Cicely sent this my way. Her old elementary school has a new principal by the name of Amy Johnson. And uh, I believe this was her old elementary school anyway. But uh, one of her friends who still works in the building received this email, as did everybody else who works in the building, and here's how it goes. They, this principal, female principal, brand new to the building, said the following in the email, quote, On Saturday, October 21st, please join our staff for adult-only hide-and-seek-slash-scavenger hunt in the dark at school. From 7 to 8 p.m. Then they said, I know we have a lot going on. Time to have some fun together. Let me know if you will be attending so I can get everything ready. Unquote. Principal of, I would assume it's Yucca or Yucca Elementary School in Artesia, New Mexico. Beyond pathetic. Absolutely embarrassing. Saturday night. Let's all go and play a scavenger hunt in the dark on Saturday night in the school from 7 to 8 p.m. Uh, no. That's a hard no. In fact, if people are RSVPing this principal, they should email them back and say, Was this your idea? Did you come up with this? This is remarkably unprofessional. No one would even make this suggestion if they knew what was actually going on in the world right now. This is childish. There's no level of adult thinking taking place. I mean, you can take the comments that could be emailed back to this person in any direction. But that right there, ladies and gentlemen, that is your American K-12 administrator right there. And again, as I said earlier, it could be a bullying tactic as if to see who responds back to them and what kind of a tone uh, they have regarding who responds back to them and, again, what they say and how they say it. And is this another test to see who's a team player and who isn't? All these mind games that get played because they want these people to get together for an hour on a Saturday night and play a scavenger hunt at the school. Stupid. It's beyond stupid. They should be fired for making the, sh uh, the mere suggestion. They should just be fired for this email alone. It's beyond retarded. That pretty much defines the entire business in a nutshell, I think. But anyway, this does too. Getting us back to our old uh, sophist approach and sophistry look at things here. This is from the Gateway Pundit, which, by the way, Gateway Pundit is guilty of the exact same thing. They are all in on Israel. All in 100%. Why? The Hoff brothers are Jewish, and they're both gay. So they're all in on it. But again, even in the stories that they bring up, the people that are bringing this up within their channels, they can't see their own levels of hypocrisy here. This is absolutely astounding. In fact, they're going so far in this article to actually defend and bring up Les Wexner, who, of course, is a pedophile and a child trafficker. This is well known. The owner of uh, Victoria's Secret and all the other clothing stores and whatever else. Here's the story. 
again, I brought this up in a previous episode, but this is this story has gotten more advanced, unfortunately. It says it is titled Major Foundation Cuts Ties with Harvard over school's response to Hamas attack on Israel as professors scramble to do damage control. The reason they're doing damage control is because they're notorious hypocrites. They're taking stances on things for which they know nothing about, and then there's a reaction, and then they all start panicking. Rather than just teaching subjects and and just doing their job, they have to decide to take a scoop from the flavor of the month and throw it in everybody's face. So it says the following here, last week, following an attack on Israel by Hamas, student groups at Harvard immediately signed a letter blaming the whole thing on Israel as an act that many of these students already regret, it said. And of course, it replied back to the previous story where they were being doxxed, which of course is a Bolshevik tactic, where their identities, names, phone numbers, addresses were being driven around on the side of a truck. The simple fact that a university could do this and not get sued is beyond me. They, they should be sued for that alone. Anyway, it says Harvard's president released a statement condemning Hamas later, but the damage was already done. Now, one of the major foundations and funder, the Wexner Foundation, has cut ties with the school. Aw, oh, boo-hoo. So, a, a, a Jewish pedophile, satanic, cultish, university is upset that a Jewish pedophile cultist donor isn't giving them money anymore. It's a head-scratcher, isn't it? It's a head-scratcher. I've got the letter right here. Here's what it says. It's beyond ridiculous. Let me blow it up very quickly. Okay. From the Wexner Foundation, October 16th, quote, Dear Harvard, Board of Overseers, more than three decades ago, the Wexner Foundation identified Harvard Kennedy School as the ideal university setting for developing and educating Israel's public service leaders. Why are we doing that? Why are they doing that? Sorry, I digress. It says, central to our choice was Harvard's rigorous academic standards and the Kennedy School's steadfast commitment to honoring diversity. Uh, Every time. We aspired to place emerging leaders among global peers sincerely interested in each other's perspectives. But you're not, are you? We were confident our fellows would be educated by world-class faculty uniquely prepared to foster meaningful exchange in the pursuit of deep understanding across cultures and societies. We believed that at its core, HKS, the Harvard Kennedy School, was a school with moral purpose matching the core values we embrace in our work, in our own work, it says. Now, that's the first paragraph. Do you not see the hypocritical nature? and the sophist approach within that paragraph alone? It's basically a agree with us or else. It's our way or it's no way. But yet they use words like perspectives and honor diversity and moral purpose and embrace work. This is not what they are interested in both as a foundation, as a, as a donor foundation, and, of course, as a university. 
They continued and they said, We have observed that this cherished tolerance for diverse perspectives has slowly but precipitably narrowed over the years. A disappointing consequence of this ten of this trend rather is that our Wexner Israel fellows are increasingly marginalized, their voices and views even shouted down. Disap- disappointingly, it says, HKS has been slow to craft a strategy to enable Israeli students to engage in productive, even if difficult, dialogue with the school. We believe this is an unfortunate trend for the entire MPA student community. No, it's the exact opposite. The moment that someone comes out against you, you start whining and complaining and playing the victim. They want people to believe that it's a black and white sophist approach, that it's a that it's a this or a that. You can't have it both ways. But then again, they use the word or the phrase cherished tolerance of diverse perspectives. And they say has slowly but precipitably narrowed over the years. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> that's that's not true. It's an open admission that when they say Tolerance, diverse perspectives, what they mean is our way or the highway. It's the Jewish way or it's no way. That's what they're saying here. I love when you give a Bolshevik the opportunity to talk. I love it because they always do themselves in with their own made up vernacular, their own made up language. They always do themselves in. It continues it says, quote, We are stunned and sickened at the dismal failure of Harvard's leadership to take a clear and unequivocal stand against the barbaric murderers of innocent Israeli civilians by terrorists last Saturday, the Sabbath, and and a festival day. Since then, many of our Israel fellows are no, no longer feel marginalized at HKS, they feel abandoned. Aw, that's too bad. That feeling is shared. See, feelings, they're, they're appealing to emotion here. Also a sophist approach. That feeling is shared by our HKS Israeli alumni, foundation staff, and our chairman. Other university presidents have said precisely what we should have heard immediately from President Gay. Quote, what Hamas did is evil and there is no defense for terrorism. This shouldn't be hard, unquote, said Ben Sass, President University of Florida. Well, Ben Sass is a Zionist. Former, former senator from Nebraska, he's a Zionist. He's also blackmailed. It continues, it says, Harvard's leaders were indeed tiptoeing unequivocally, rather, and we, like former Harvard President Larry Summers, cannot fathom the administration's failure to disassociate the university and condemn the statement. Swiftly issued by 34 student groups holding Israel entirely responsible for the violent terror attack on its own citizens. That should not be that should not have been hard, they said. In the absence of this clear moral stand, see, the old morality argument, 
If you don't agree with us, then you have no moral stance. They said, we have determined that the Harvard, Harvard Kennedy School and the Wexner Foundation are no longer compatible partners. Our core values and those of Harvard no longer align. HKS is no longer a place where Israeli leaders can go to develop the necessary skills to address the very real political and societal challenges they face. Ladies and gentlemen, this is beautiful. Because as you know, the liberal snake always eats its own tail. And that's exactly what's happening. The pedophiles are eating themselves now. It's beautiful. I say keep going. Keep doing it. It's absolutely great. I just, I love this. It wraps up here and it says, quote, while we intend to develop new strategies and initiatives to develop Israel's civil service leaders, the Wexner Foundation is formally ending its financial and programmatic relationships with Harvard and the Harvard Kennedy School. The current class of Wexner Israel Fellows, rather, class 34, will be the last to complete the MPA program, and we will no longer send Wexner senior leaders for the executive program. We make this decision with an unwavering commitment to our Israeli, I'm sorry, Israel alumni, and to Israel's civil service, and to the state of Israel. With anticipation for many years of friendship and meaningful engagement with Harvard, and especially our colleagues at HKS, and CPL. Signed, Rabbi B. Elka Abramson, President, Renan Avital, I don't care about these names, uh, Director General of Israel, and Abigail and Leslie Wexner, Chairman. Unquote. Beyond embarrassing. It's just beyond embarrassing. The pedophiles are pulling all their funding from a pedophile school because they support pedophiles. And the pedophile school isn't doing enough to counter the arguments from uh, the other side, which uh, is calling out pedophiles for funding an attack on themselves to start a false flag war and justify the murders of innocent Palestinians, including half of which which are made up of children and people below the age of 24. It's beyond disgusting. The sophist approach here is, is beyond thick. It's just beyond thick. And it isn't going to go away, as I said earlier. It just won't. Now, on the other side of the country, you have this also. This is from the Wall Street Journal. I'm just going to read the intro title. It's behind a paywall. I can't get to it, unfortunately, but it is titled, quote, Don't Hire My Anti-Semitic Law Students. Would your clients want an attorney who condones hatred and monstrous crimes by a Stephen Davidoff Solomon? Mm, every single time. And this has to do with the University of California, Berkeley. They are an advisor to the Jewish Law Students Association, and they're openly saying, I have law students who are Palestinian or of Middle Eastern descent. Do not hire them. But trust me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, there's no Zionistic or Jewish influence anywhere in America. You just have universities coming out against anybody who disagrees with them and their Jewish take on things. And now you have professors. Openly telling 
other individuals, whether it be law firms, and I'm sure other companies, because again, that, that was happening at Harvard too, and I'm sure it's happening lots of places where they're openly saying, don't hire our students. We know them to be Palestinian. We know them to support Palestine and Palestinians. So uh, whatever you do, don't hire them. Doesn't, doesn't that reek of discrimination, religious, uh, or religious or ethnic discrimination of some kind? Isn't that against the law? Shouldn't this so-called law professor, this Stephen Davidoff Solomon fella, shouldn't he be sued into the ground for what he's suggesting and, and what he's openly saying? And why the Wall Street Journal of all places in their opinion section would publish this? This right here should prove to everybody, again, that the Zionists have a complete death grip on all these media outlets, without a doubt. And as I brought up earlier, even, of course, within the so-called alternative media, like Real America's Voice, the Jack Posobics of the world, Libs of TikTok, the, li the list is flipping endless. It's just endless. Here's another one. This is from Wisconsin. From a few days back, again, perfect sophistry right here. Perfect example of where they would just start screaming and name calling from the from, from rooftops. It's titled Wisconsin. This is from the National Pulse, by the way. Wisconsin judge: Schools secretly transitioning kids are violating parents' rights. No kidding. And anybody arguing against this, again, would say, "Well." You're a transphobe. And then they would yell it, and, and that's it. Appealing to emotion, black or white. It's disgusting. I mean, good for the judge. This is fantastic. But doesn't it further expose schools as being completely degenerate environments? And the people who support this kind of thing being completely degenerate? It says parents have won a landmark legal battle against the Kettle Moraine School District in Wisconsin with Wakusha, if I'm saying that right, probably not, County Circuit Court Judge Michael Maxwell banning schools author school authorities, rather, quote, from allowing or requiring staff to refer to students using a name or pronouns at odds with the student's biological sex while at school without express parental consent. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. The homeschooling family doesn't have to play those stupid games. It actually takes a judge to intervene a little bit of common sense in order for the environment to even engage in some common sense. That's how far it's fallen. That's how, that's how much it's been destroyed. Now let me work my way into the jab talk here. And then I have two follow-up stories from the last episode regarding a patient, again, that uh, A.J. Gochik was involved with, and then our Mich Michigan business owner as well. Uh, first of all, this is uh, another died suddenly among a 15-year-old football player. Connecticut high school student Elijah J. Moreno Rivera, 15, dies after losing consciousness at football practice as his heartbroken mother pays tribute to gentle giant, quote-unquote. It says Windsor High School student 15 lost consciousness during practice on Tuesday. And District Superintendent Terrence Hill said that the teen was not engaged in any football drills or tackling at the time. So he just fell over. 
weird. What from? What from? He was given CPR by police and emergency medical technicians, District Superintendent Terrence Hill said in a letter to families. Yeah, jabbed, period. That's it, jabbed. No way around it, no other explanation. Okay, let me get into the Michigan story here first before I get into an update here from AJ regarding that situation with that little girl who was intubated for uh, having E. coli, of all things. I'm telling you, the medical industry is beyond disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Okay. Uh, Sorry here, I'm going through my text messages. Okay, Uh, the Michigan business owner, just to, to refresh everybody's memory, this had to do with an individual, a female, who received the COVID swab test And it broke the blood-brain barrier, causing her to bleed from the nose profusely. And then, of course, they had to engage in surgery to stop the bleeding. They said the following here, quote, Things took a turn for the worse. They let the mom in to see her, and she's basically a vegetable. She doesn't recognize her mom, can't speak sentences, has no coordination, doesn't know where she is. The doctor said this is quote-unquote probably normal, and to see what happens in a week, she has to stay in the ER. And I asked, has she had the surgery yet, or was this pre-surgery? Because again, apparently the surgery had been postponed, because the hospitals were full of individuals who were jabbed and sick, and everybody was attending to them. Uh, They said, yeah, she had the surgery super early this morning. Uh, And then, no, they didn't have, and I asked if they had a lawyer, and they said, no, they don't have a lawyer. They said the mom is convinced that the brain bleed is from not eating enough vegetables. Now, is that sophistry also? It certainly is. In fact, it becomes more sophomoric here in in, in in just a second. They said the following. Uh, Well, I said this. I said, it sounds like she's had a lobotomy. The surgical procedure certainly sounds like the same procedure. They said it's also crazy and from the COVID swab. They then said things took a turn for the worse yet again, and they did allow my friend to see her sister without a swab test, but limited, limited it rather to only 10 minutes. She's having convulsions, and the doctors are now saying that they've never seen this happen before. They're baffled and that she is going to need months of therapy. And then I said, is anyone yelling that this was caused by the swab bullshit test? And she said, my friend knows, but her family isn't awake at all. They truly believe it's from a lack of vegetables and possibly, get this, this is also sophist, uh, the sophist approach, or a sophist approach, which is the genetic fallacy, that it's truly from a lack of vegetables and possibly hereditary, because the mom's sister had a brain bleed 15 years ago, unquote. The sophist genetic fallacy is another fallacy, which again has to do with judging something or or an event, whether it be good or bad, simply because it comes from some something else or someone else that they know or that they are related to has also experienced the same thing. It's as foolish 
in many cases, although I know that quote unquote family history, as they tell people and, and brainwash that into people, plays a larger role than it probably does. But clearly, a brain bleed 15 years ago from another family member has nothing to do with this current case. This current case is swab related because the bleed happened after the swab test. And then, of course, they had to have part of their facial skull removed in order to fix what was broken and stop the bleeding. I pray for this woman. I, I, I really do. This is absolutely awful. And I should, I should mention this too. The depth and multiple depths and dimensions of that fallacy are actually so deep now that if you looked at it objectively, what are we looking at? We're looking at a test that doesn't test for anything because the thing that it's allegedly testing for doesn't exist. Again, wrap your head around that one. This woman is in peril and probably dying because they received a test that isn't a test for anything, number one, because that thing it's allegedly testing for isn't even real. And the test isn't even real either. And then, of course, the hospital is requiring individuals to receive the test in order to see other people. Even after an incident like this, where clearly the test was the sole reason that it occurred. This, again, is referred to as the fallacy fallacy, and it is also what is referred to as a false cause. The false cause is presuming that a real or perceived relationship between things means that one is the cause of the other. It has nothing to do with not eating vegetables, and it has nothing to do with genetics. Again, it's the fallacy fallacy because you're talking about something that isn't real that's being applied to a person that, end, that, that ends up causing something that is real, but they don't want to see that that was the thing that is what caused it. So it's a lie wrapped in a lie wrapped in a lie, and then they use a lie to justify why they did what they did, and then a lie to rationalize why they got the result that they ended up with. These are not survivable characteristics. A nation cannot survive, and people as individuals and families and corporations and businesses and whatever, they cannot survive if they continue to operate under this spell and this lack of thinking. Here's another example. Again, this is from A.J. Gochik out in California. This had to do with the little girl who went to the hospital with her parents and they wanted to give her a blood transfusion because she had E. coli and diarrhea, but they didn't want to do that when it came to giving their daughter jabbed blood. So they finally agreed to not give her jabbed blood, but then they ended up intubating the kid anyway. This is where it gets real sick. And I'm glad AJ did this dig on this woman because she's a monster and her husband is a monster too. So here's the doctor who was responsible for the intubation. He said the following in this text thread to me. He said, quote, this is the doctor who intubated and reported the parents to CPS. Her name, Ashley Wong Grossman, an Asian woman who is married to a Jewish man. Ashley Wong Grossman, MD, 
Medical School, Leola University, Chicago, the Stridich School of Medicine, if I'm saying that right. She spent her residency at the Mayo Clinic Pediatrics and Anesthesia and her fellowship at the Mayo Clinic Pediatrics and Anesthesia. So this woman loves anesthesia and certainly loves intubation. And as it turns out, her husband does too. It continues here. This is her own particular uh, explanation from her own words. She says, I am originally from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Prior to starting my journey in medicine, I was a professional figure skater with Disney for I, uh, Disney on Ice rather for six years. This chapter took me around the world and was full of unique experiences and wonderful people, many of whom are still like family to me. I completed, so she knows it's filled with pedophiles, I'm sure. I'm, I'm being sarcastic, of course. Um, let me see. I completed medical school at Leola University in Chicago and then moved to Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, where I did residencies in pediatrics and anesthesiology, as well as a fellowship in pediatric anesthesiology. My research has, primal, uh, I'm sorry, has primarily focused on areas of intersection between the operating room and ICU, such as the incidence of propofol infusion syndrome and rates of complications with invasive arterial catheters. I couldn't be more excited to continue my training in pediatric critical care at Stanford. During my non-clinical time, it says, I enjoy getting back to the rink where I'm able to I'm sorry, where I am able and I love international travel, going out for dinner and spending time with my husband, Daniel, and our small Havanese puppy, Ivy. Okay, so they're jabbed. We know this for a fact. How many? Who's to say at this point? And it turns out, as AJ points out here, that not only is he Jewish, but he's in a wheelchair. Daniel Grossman is handicapped, apparently. Uh, business leader and emergency medicine physician also within, I think, the same hospital. Uh, AJ says, he, uh, and he brags to the New York Times about how much they both love intubating patients. And he said, read below. And there's this post from their wedding where he said the following, love on the front lines, Ashley Wong and Daniel Grossman. It says, quote, I proposed April 1st while Ashley, Ashley's dog, and I strolled through the Minneapolis Sculpture Garden at the Walker Art Center. There was a photographer milling about who I asked to take a few photos of us, and to Ashley's surprise, I pulled out a ring. Why now? Ashley and I are both physicians. I am in emergency medicine and split time between medicine and business, and Ashley is in anesthesia. I had initially considered proposing in the summer while on a planned vacation, but the vacation was canceled, and Ashley will likely be intubating and caring for patients in the ICU over the coming months during the COVID-19 pandemic. She was on a brief break between month-long ICU rotations and it seemed opportune to propose in case she is quarantined or worse, either of us become ill. Daniel Grossman, Minneapolis. 
disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. This Ashley Wong girl, woman, is responsible for the murders of countless people. She has to be. If she's been intubating people since 2020 and gets off on it, because let's face it, as we all know, they're all being paid more money to intubate. Every time you cram that hose down their throat, it's just dollar signs for both the doctor and the hospital. And she's killing people. It continues, or he continued rather, with his text thread here. He says, the sins of the COVID are going to be with us for a long time. Ventilators, vaxxed versus unvaxxed blood. He said, I learned something else from one of the workers at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital on the Stanford campus. Apparently, mandatory masking is coming back to the hospital on November 1st of this year. She, the worker, didn't know if it applied to just staff or to anyone who walks inside the facility. We'll see about that. About one-fourth to one-third of the people inside are masked. More masked workers than visitors. And then he said, faggy photos from the Wong Grossman wedding. And they are pathetic. Three photos here, ironically. One of them is, of course, he in his wheelchair wearing a mask, and she's wearing her mask as they're standing next to each other, touching each other. That's stupid for a variety of reasons. That's the fallacy fallacy right there, isn't it? Then there's one of this. <laughs> I can't, can't even believe this was even allowed. Uh, it's her jumping next to him in his wheelchair as she's holding on to his wheelchair as she's jumping. I mean, rubbing it in? What, what's that about? And then the next one is both of them sitting down and looking sophisticated as they grasp each other and blah, blah, blah. As the two murderers embrace one another. This is absolutely gross. It's just so gross. Yikes. Okay. Well, now I have to bring this up. And I'm actually going to end on a positive note, believe it or not. Uh, let me get into this psychological warfare first, though. There is a, uh, a National Library of Medicine PubMed article here. Uh, the, the actual journal, I think, is EB, I'm sorry, EMBO Reports. This is from October 15th of 2001, that, that long ago. The paper is titled, Vaccines as Instruments of Foreign Policy. It says, the new vaccines for tropical infectious diseases may have unanticipated uses beyond fighting disease. I'm going to summarize the paper uh, as best I can here. Essentially, in a nutshell, what the paper alludes to with direct quotes from people like the Rockefeller Institution and Henry Kissinger and a bunch of other horrible people, the Gates Foundation included, is that anytime you hear about vaccine uptake or the invention of vaccine, it and war go hand in hand. That either war will come before the initiation of, of vaccines or new vaccines, which we know are all bioweapons, or it's the other way around. But they go hand in hand. It is quite literally a weapon of war, and it is used as foreign policy by stirring up panic that if a particular area, quote-unquote, needs vaccines, 
well, then you can anticipate the individuals in that particular area dying from one thing or the other. It will either be a manufactured war or it will be a manufactured illness of some kind to only have individuals show up, swoop in, and then uh, you know provide their so-called solution at the end of a needle. So while things like that have been written about, of course, for a very long time, more recently, we're learning far more about, of course, the psychological operation of getting people to get jabbed. And that leads me to this. In one of Dr. Mackis's most recent um, Substack articles here, he highlights a series of papers dating back to 2021 of February all the way to June of 2023, having to do with the persuasive messaging of getting people jabbed and how they need to change particular narratives because it's all about convincing them to do so. Now, I've been over this subject before, but I just wanted to run through these titles in chronological order in case you were interested in looking them up specifically. This, again, is the psychological operation to trick people into ultimately getting jabbed and doing whatever they can to overcome vaccine hesitancy. This first one, it was published in February of 2021 by Stacy Wood and others, titled Beyond Politics, Promoting COVID-19 Vaccination in the United States. The next one was in June of the same year, 2021, by Scott Radson and others, titled Missing the Point, How Primary Care Can Overcome COVID-19 Vaccine Hesitancy. The next one of the same year in September, by Kachurka and others, titled Persuasive Messages Will Not Increase COVID-19 Vaccine Acceptance. Basically, that had to do with the Polish people saying F you to the propaganda. So he, he put that uh, as a little side note there. Here's another one from the same year in December by Aaron James and others titled, quote, Persuasive Messaging to Increase COVID-19 Vaccine Uptake Intentions. And then in 2023 of January, Fisher and others wrote one titled, Impact of a Physician Recommendation on COVID-19 Vaccination Intent Among Vaccine-Hesitant Individuals. Here's another one from this year again in March by Limbu and others, quote, Why Some People Are Hesitant to Receive COVID-19 Boosters, a Systematic Review. I think I've read that one on the show before. Uh, here's another one from April of this year, a Kleitman and others, every single time. Uh, quote, the psychological, I'm sorry, psychology rather, of COVID-19 booster hesitancy, acceptance, and resistance in Australia, unquote. And then finally, the last one that he highlights was from June, a Steffens and others are the authors, and the title was Testing Persuasive Messaging About Booster Doses of COVID-19 Vaccines on Intention to Vaccinate in Australian Adults a randomized control trial. Yeah. There is a approach here that involves, which I think is rather psychopathic, although it is their approach. It's certainly the devil's scheme to play the game in front of our eyes while it's being played against us. Is that they're actually publishing articles on what they're doing and what they're saying to one another 
in order to get people who don't want the jabs jabbed. And what they need to tell patients who aren't jabbed about, again, how to get, how to get them jabbed. And if they've already been jabbed, what is it that we can do to get them to get more jabs? They're openly publishing their scheming on their own psychological operation on how to poison people. Which leads me to this paper now. This is rather incredible. This was published in 2022 uh, of September, and it is titled COVID-19 and Illegal U.S. Bioweapons Activity, an Insider's Revelations. This is from a J. J. Bart Classen, M.D. Here's the abstract. And the answer, of course, is yes, it is a bioweapon, and this person has apparently figured it out. Listen to this abstract, quote, Millions, if not billions of people now believe that the world is under a bioweapons attack. A lot of blame has been placed on the U.S. funding of bioweapons. Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the U.S. NIAID NIH, has come under severe criticism for funding the infamous gain-of-function quote-unquote research. Many believe Fauci has not acted alone or even on his own accord. The author worked as a fellow at NIAID-NIH from 1988 to 1991, starting soon after Fauci became head of NIAID. Now here comes the juicy part. Quote, The author witnessed firsthand infiltration of NIAID slash NIH by Israel's Mossad. While working at NIAID NIH, one or more co-workers expressed a need to, quote, preempt the next Jewish Holocaust, unquote. For 30 years since leaving NIH, the author has paid close attention to Mossad's involvement in illegal U.S. bioweapon activity and attempts to disclose his observations. The author hopes to educate the public on the current bioweapon attack with COVID-19 and vaccines. The author believes that Mossad intends to kill billions of people. Already 70% of the world's population have received a COVID-19 vaccine, which is in all appearance has the ability to cause deadly, non-curable prion disease. The author hopes the information provided will help those interested in ending this covert war, unquote. And then there's a conclusion here. Should I read that? I think I have to. I've got to read this conclusion. This is a, this is a one-page sort of uh, put together summary here, and it's golden. And I also put this up on Gab. So if you want to copy this for yourself and put it and uh, and take it off of my Gab page, go for it. Here's what the conclusion says. This is remarkable. This right here, ladies and gentlemen, this piece of paper is all you have to read at a school board meeting. This is all you have to read at a city council meeting or a county commissioners meeting. This is it. You need to give this to every sheriff's department and police station also. Why not? I mean, yeah, they're in on it. Yeah, they're Freemasons. Yeah, they're taking money. But this is it right here, in a nutshell. The conclusion of this said the following, quote, Millions, if not billions of people now believe the world is under a bioweapon attack. 
Many people have criticized the U.S. government funding of -of gain-of-function research bioweapon labs in Ukraine and bioweapon experimentation at Fort Detrick. The author trained at NIAID from 88 to 91 and personally witnessed Mossad infiltration of NIAID-NIH. It is the author's belief that NIAID-NIH was infiltrated not only to gain access to the large NIH budget, but to use NIH as a training facility for young Jewish scientists who want to join Mossad's bioweapon operation. The author has followed the activities of those he knew through NIH and others that he has met in the vaccine field in the three decades since leaving NIH. His observations are included above. The author's view is that we live in a very dangerous world and Mossad will, will not stop its satanic and murderous ways until we, the human race, stop them. One of Mossad's main defenses is to play the anti-Semitic card. If one criticizes Mossad's activities, one must be anti-Semitic. Sophistry. See? It's sophistry. To the, to the absolute death of, of the human race. He doesn't say that. That was me saying it. Anyway, I continue. Sorry. It says, quote, The reasoning is quite hollow, and many Jews the author has spoken to say that Mossad controls one or more anti-defamation organizations. To clarify the author's position, Mossad is not a threat just to Gentiles, but also to most Jews. Many of the author's Jewish friends who took the COVID-19 vaccine were not aware of the dangers. To the author's knowledge, Mossad never warned the rank-and-file Jews in the U.S. of the dangers of the COVID-19 vaccines. Furthermore, while Mossad is run by Jews, it has many, many non-Jewish members. Mossad recruits people of all races who share Mossad's core values of love, money, I'm sorry, love of money, love of drugs, love of sex, love of power, love of genocide, and even a shared ideology of Zionism. A look at Jeffrey Epstein's book of Mossad assets as well has his flight as well as his flight log rather will reveal a long list of wealthy and famous non-Jewish conspirators slash Mossad assets. It is hoped that this paper will inspire others to take action against this organization while they still can. Mossad's plan for a new world order and great reset is mirrored after a previous attempt, the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. The upheaval, which did not end well for the people of Russia, including most senior Communist Party leaders, under Stalin, unquote. Holy shit. That's fantastic. I'm keeping this, by the way, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I will put this up on Catbox, and I will link the description below so that you can download this and print this off if you, uh, if you so desire. But this was written and received back in August of 2022, and then it was published in September of 2022. Again, the title is COVID-19 and Illegal U.S. Bioweapons Activity and Insider's Revelations by a J. Bart Klassen, M.D. Again, I will link that in the description below in three separate links, a direct link to the online PDF um, the online link to where you can download the PDF also. And then, of course, well, yeah, I'll have two Catbox links there where you can download 
the one-page summary that I just read and then the whole document itself. Okay, I'm going to conclude with this. This, I think, again, is an example of the dam starting to crack, without a doubt. This, too, was from the Gateway Pundit. My apologies for the reference, but uh, it was titled, Why Don't You Go F Yourself? Triggered Massachusetts politician yells and then storms out of a meeting and calls for police after COVID vaccine skeptic accuses her of a conflict of interest. There's not much to the video other than her kind of yelling and then cursing and getting up and leaving. But apparently, an individual showed up, a uh, 60-year-old Wilmington, Massachusetts resident, Kevin McDonald, it says, went to the town's select board meeting to complain about the impact the vaccines are having on the insurance of the local firemen. He also reportedly made various other complaints about the COVID shot. That's when things got extremely heated uh, once he came face-to-face with town councilor Leela Maselli. If I'm saying that right, don't care. McDonald accused Maselli of having a conflict of interest working for a company that he claims is a risk to the fire department for gas leaks. The Daily Mail captured video of the encounter. And again, that was essentially it. I'm telling you, that right there is exactly what I've been talking about for the last two plus years now. This has to happen more frequently. More of these members have got to be approached and yelled at about what they've done and what they've participated in. And if you've been looking for the ammunition beyond your own personal stories and your own experiences with the jabs, Again, I'm purposely taking a back seat on this one. I did my part at the school board meeting. I'm taking a back seat. I want I want these people to expire. That's when you'll see me again show up to one of these council meetings, and I will go to a council meeting. But that'll be the next time I go is when one of them expires from these shots. Because me personally, where I live, I've already warned them. Numerous times over email, they've gotten my emails, they've read them. But if you need the ammunition to do it yourself, this NIAID revelation within this, uh, within this published paper from an insider about Mossad's infiltration of trying to want another Holocaust, which means burned offering, that's what the word Holocaust means, that right there should be all the proof that you need and all of the evidence that you can bring to the table that will blow these people out of the water for what they've participated in. They will shit themselves, and they'll have no choice. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.